Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. That is the most words I've heard Clay speak <laughs> in a long time. Nice job. <laughs> so how are we doing? We are uh, kicking off a brand new series this morning on parables. And uh, a couple of things to say to you before. The first one is thank you. Um, we are into uh, the end of June, which in our fiscal year is our first quarter and uh, you've been really strong and faithful, uh, not only with the building stuff, but also with our tithes and offerings and faith promise, all that stuff. You're doing great. Just don't quit. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you wander around ever and look between the fences, but a lot of progress. Uh, we're just a little over two months from groundbreaking and walls are going up and things are happening and you will be inconvenienced at some point and start to notice a few things. Uh, they'll start doing some work retroactively in this room, but we'll still meet. Uh, so just as it happens, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep rolling with it. You know, just go with it. It works. And uh, that goes for folks online, sound issues and video issues. Just remember that we are cobbling together a system based on, you know, taking away our old studio and now putting together what we can. So please be patient with us. We are working on all those technical things that are happening. I think if I were to just talk about one word in relationship to this series, it would be intentionality. The gospel writers are very intentional in how they use the parables to tell their specific story of the gospel. But Jesus is very intentional too with the context in which he speaks these parables. And a lot of things happen in relationship to the parables. Perhaps you've been a part of that at some point. Perhaps someone sometime has preached a sermon about the parable and you came away going, I I'm not sure that's what that means. Anybody? Because the parables can be stretched a little. They can be stretched beyond the point they're making and used in ways that Jesus would have never intended for us. And so we are going to pay close attention to context. We're going to pay close attention to the intentionality. And it turns out that, that the disciples themselves are rather frustrated by the fact that Jesus teaches in parables. It, it becomes sort of a sense in which they think he's speaking some code and they want to understand why it is that he is doing that. But there's a very, very vivid reason why he's doing that. And that's because the Jews had a very strongly preconceived idea of what the kingdom of God was like. I'm so glad we're not like that. So Jesus came to say, I could try to hit that head on. I could try to go nose to nose, theological point for theological point, but I wouldn't get very far. Instead, what I will teach is a series of parables that turns the kingdom of God upside down. That, in fact, inverts the value system of Judaism in a way that you could only describe as the kingdom of God coming and being alive on earth. And it's frustrating to the disciples. They want Jesus to just come right out and say what he means. We're picked up in that story in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you 
speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. So you have some understanding of the kingdom. You became followers. You bought into the kingdom concept. But there's a lot of people out there that don't. There's a lot of people out there that haven't. And so the parables are used to sort of teach these lessons so that our minds are open. Amen? I mean, isn't it awesome to have an open mind? I mean, not so open. Your brains fall out, but not clouded by dogma. Not overwhelmed by the fact that we've arrived. We've gathered all the knowledge we need. We're not learning anymore. We're not growing anymore. And so this conversation goes on, Matthew 13, 15. For the people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. This is a terrifying series of passages. He's saying that the Jews have come to believe that they understand completely the kingdom of God, and, and, and therefore they're blind to what the real kingdom is, and they're deaf to what the real kingdom is. And their prejudices, the preconceived ideas, the, the way they were taught in rabbinical school, the way they were taught in their, you know, catechisms, it causes them to be closed to the gospel. Do we realize the impact of this? They're so confident in their religion that when the Son of God, God tabernacle in human flesh, stands among them, they cannot recognize him and, in fact, see him as a threat to their way of believing. So Jesus teaches in parables. And then in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him. And he placed the child among them, and then he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So you and I are invited into this series on the parables to be childlike, to be learners. And when I think about what is the difference between a childlike learner and this sort of hardened fundamentalist perspective, dogma that he's represented in the Jewish lives. It's this. Children receive. Adults bargain. We bargain. We tell God how it's supposed to be. We tell God what we thought it would be. We tell God why we're disappointed. We, we, we have all kinds of issues as adults that, you know, we just, but children receive. Oh, oh, that's how it is. Okay. Okay. So my challenge to you is as we make our journey, and this is a long series for us, eight weeks we're going to be in the parables, that you come each week with a childlike heart, open, ready to learn, ready to grow, ready to think together. There's a dilemma in the kingdom of God, and the, the dilemma sort of plays itself out like this. We have sort of a very basic understanding of how religion works, and that is this. If we do what God wants, he'll bless us. And if we don't do what God wants, we'll have problems. Amen? Amen? In fact, that's kind of the system of all faith. If we do the right things and say the right things and believe the right things, then everything works out. And if we don't believe the right things and say the right things and do the right things, then everything won't work out. And that's also kind of the, a general philosophy of life. It's not just about faith. If I eat right and stay fit, I'll have a long life and I'll be very healthy. Probably. 
maybe. If I work really, really, really hard, I'll be successful. If I'm not lazy, I'll be rewarded. But then we all know that generally those are truisms. Amen? Generally true. However, very fit, healthy people get sick. And lazy people succeed. And diligent people fail. And faithful people suffer. And it's a paradox. What's fascinating is that the gospel doesn't shy away from this paradox. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But we do form our prejudices around those ideas. In fact, Matthew, in chapter 11, it's one of the most fascinating series of passages that you can find if you read them in sequence. They start out with Jesus being in proximity to where John the Baptist is in prison. And John sends a messenger to Jesus and says, Are you the one... Or should we expect someone else? Now, John is saying, listen, I I know that you said you were, you know, the Messiah. And I know that I'm supposed to be the forerunner of the Messiah. But I'm in prison. And it seems to me that if you're the Messiah, I wouldn't be in prison. So I'm just wanting to clarify. So are you the one? Because this is what happens. When we don't get what we want from God, we often remake him in our image. And Jesus says, and so far, you know, this is a normal story. This this is a completely human, this is how I would react. If Jesus was my cousin and I was in jail, I'd be like, hey, what's up? You know, that's not not how this is supposed to go. I, I thought the kingdom of God was about prison breaks. I thought you were going to overthrow the government. I thought there was going to be a cataclysmic shift in value structures. I I thought when the Messiah came, everything was going to get fixed. This is where the story gets weird. Go tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers are healed, and the poor are receiving the gospel. And then he says this, blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. In other words, go tell John that although the big cataclysmic things of the kingdom have not yet occurred, still the little things of the kingdom of God, which is like a mustard seed, like a little bit of yeast worked in 60 pounds of flour, still the little pieces of the kingdom of God, they are happening. They are growing. They are changing. People are being freed. Lives are being transformed. Blessed are you who do not fall away on account of me. And then if we haven't quite gotten it, the chapter continues to unfold with Jesus then in 1125 saying, at the same time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and you've revealed them to little children. All the same chapter. We're still in chapter 11. John's questioning, Jesus saying, listen, sometimes we need to be quiet. I don't know about you, but my brain talks a lot. Anybody else have that issue? Anybody else got, oh, so three of us. The rest of you are like, yeah, I'm not owning that this morning. I'll just be quiet. I'll listen more than I talk. I'll try to trust more than I am analytical. 
Because then, if we haven't gotten it, Matthew comes to eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why parables? Because our expectations grow in such ways that, that it's hard for us to hear the genuine nature of the kingdom. It's hard for us to embrace what really the inverted values of the kingdom of God are all about. We, we build our lives around our understanding. We become fortified in our belief systems. We, we develop dogmas around what we think and what we feel. And then it's hard for the kingdom of God to actually get into us and transform us. Amen? How honest can we be on a Sunday morning? All right, let's be real honest. Isn't it sad that so many who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ are unpleasant? Isn't it sad that so many who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ are difficult to work with? You know what I hear a lot when I, people find out I'm a minister, which is always interesting, you know. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're a what? You do a what? I didn't even know they had those anymore. You know what I hear a lot? The hardest people I've ever worked with in my journey have been believers. The people who have not paid the bill on time, the people who didn't fulfill their obligations. They were very often believers. Why is that? Is it possible because our prejudices have built up walls so that the genuine gospel cannot get into our hearts and transform us from the inside out into the very image of Jesus Christ? Christians, Christ-like people, salt of the earth, light of the world, ambassadors of reconciliation as though God himself were making his appeal through us. So Jesus comes teaching in parables. Luke opens his gospel and he gives us the narrative of the birth of Jesus and we get sort of into the opening pieces of the gospel and of the kingdom and of the ministry of Jesus and then in Luke chapter 8, and by the way, this series will be taken from Luke's gospel and the parables found there. We, we have this kind of interesting structure in Luke. We get into a middle section here, and a couple of things are happening. You'll hear me refer to them. One is the journeying aspect of the middle chapters of Luke. He's traveling from villages towards Jerusalem. So he's en route. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and all of these teachings sort of fall into that. The second little thing that's happening in the background, and you'll notice, is Jesus is constantly eating. There is a series of banquets that are set up in the teaching of these middle chapters, and I think that's gospel, really. You and I should eat. We should dine. We should banquet. And so you'll find it. If you pay attention to it, you'll hear these references constantly to the fact that Jesus is sitting down to a meal with people. You know, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. He goes to the house of Simon. We have this series of meals that take place. It's a, it's a custom of rabbinic teaching. And so we, we kind of have to think about the table. And we have to think about all of this journeying, sitting down to meals, chatting with people, talking, learning, growing, constantly teaching. 
In chapter 8, we are introduced to one of the very first parables. This is how it goes, verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed, and some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. And some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Another seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. His disciples asked what this parable meant, and he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, and those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word and retain it and by persevering produce a crop. So a couple of things are going on here in Luke's structure and intentionality. First of all, there is the parable itself, which is sort of obvious in its application, obvious in what it is. But what is unique about Luke's structure is that Luke has not just told us this parable, but he's also already given us examples of people who represent the trampled ground, who represent the rocky soil, who represent uh, the uh, crowded soil, and who represent the fertile soil. And so it's kind of unique because you and I get to look in their eyes. We get to look at people who are living out this lifestyle, and we get to decide where we fit into this parable and into this story. And so the first group are represented in the trampled soil. And you'd have to go back to chapter 4, and that is where Jesus is in Nazareth, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads Isaiah 61 to them, and he says, you know, uh, the Messiah will come, and he'll set the captives free, and he'll heal the brokenhearted, uh, you know, and he rolls up the scroll, and he says, uh, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm him. I'm him. And anybody remember what happened in Nazareth? They kind of go, whoa, 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 pump the brakes there, buddy. Uh, I believe you're Joseph's son. I believe we saw you grow up. You know, we saw you when you were a kid. We saw you when you were in junior high. We saw you, you know, we, we kind of know you. We kind of know you. And then Jesus said something like this. Well, I can't really do many miracles here because you don't have any faith. And when he says this, basically says, I can do a lot of miracles in other places, but I can't really do a lot for you. They become hostile towards him. In fact, they become hostile to the point that they decide to take him out. And their intention is to kill him. And he removes himself from their presence. The trampled soil represents folks that, that, that sort of look at Jesus and we, we kind of say, you know, uh, I, I don't really know kind of what you're about or who you are exactly. I know what people say, but, you know, my faith sort of struggles in that. And, and, and if you really are who you say you are, why don't you give me some stuff? Why don't you do some blessings for me? And the trampled soil are those hearts and lives that live in that space. Because what happens to us is we don't get everything we want. 
I mean, if I could help God out, I could give him some really helpful hints about how he could help me better, how he could change the world. Amen? Amen. In fact, I am all in favor of jailbreaks. Amen. I'm all in favor of overthrowing the government. <laughs> Let's scrub that from the video. <laughs> I meant metaphorically. You know, I mean, most of us are, we are up for cataclysmic change. Amen. Is it just me? I mean, because if it's just me, I'll, I'll just write things to myself. I mean, don't we want cataclysmic change? Well, don't we want the injustices made right? Don't we want fairness? Don't we want things to be fixed? Don't we want an end to all of the things in the world that don't work? Don't you want that? Yes. I want the kingdom of God alive on earth. I want it all to be done, and I want it for everyone, and me, amen, and when I wake up in the morning, I don't always think of everyone, but I do think of me, and when God's not doing what I need him to do, I find hostility inside my heart, I know just me, not you. And it's trampled soil. The gospel can't get in there because we're too disappointed and we're too upset and we're too sad and we're too mad. And we look at the world and we see what a mess it is. Go tell John. The lame walk and the blind see. The lepers are healed and the poor are receiving the gospel. Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. The kingdom advances in tiny, small ways. And everything doesn't always work out the way we want. And when that happens, our hearts can become hardened and the gospel can't get past the surface of our lives. The second group of people represented are those who represent the rocky soil. You could go to chapter 7, and in chapter 7 you would read about Jesus going to the house of Simon the Pharisee. And when he arrives at the house of Simon the Pharisee, Simon seems to be open. He seems to have some interest in what Jesus is teaching. Jesus, in some sense, is the rabbinic flavor of the day, and so there's sort of interaction with some of the leading Pharisees to see what he's saying. But in the midst of that dinner, a woman arrives, and she comes in, and she begins to weep at the feet of Jesus, and then she lets down her hair, and she wipes his feet, and Simon thinks to himself, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman touches him. And the rocky soil is represented by Simon, but a number of other Pharisees in Luke's account. And they're people that show some interest in the gospel, and on the surface, they look really good. I mean, they look like fertile soil. They're pious. They're religious. They keep all the rules. They do all the right things. But the Greek here is very explicit. I don't know how you picture this when you hear this parable. This is how I've always pictured it. Like there's some soil, but there's a lot of rocks in it. Yeah. Looks good on the surface, but if you dug it up, that is not what the Greek says. What the Greek says is there's a layer of fertile soil, but underneath it there's a slab of solid rock. And it's not going any further than that. And what is that slab of rock? It's the prejudices of the Pharisees. It's how they understand the gospel. It's how they understand the kingdom of God. Oh, I hope that's not us. Amen? Amen. 
I hope we don't look good on the outside, but just about two inches down, there's a rock-solid layer uh, that will not allow the gospel to get deep enough in us to transform our lives. It's got to get in deep. It's got to grow us from the inside out. And sometimes that rock-solid slab is right up around this area right here. Amen? I mean, if Jesus is going to get in my heart, he's going to have to get through my brain. And my mom told me a long time ago, you got a hard head, buddy. So Jesus teaches in parables because he knows that the gospel better get in your heart and bypass your brain because your brain talks a lot. And it especially talks a lot in our modern culture. And it can talk us right out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Prejudices. Then the third group that are represented is the crowded soil. Luke 7 reads this way, verse 31. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. We played the, <coughs> excuse me, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating, nor dr- eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinner. But wisdom is proved right by her children. The crowded soil. He's talking about folks who have a lot going on in their life, but they're never quite satisfied with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're never quite satisfied with who God is. They're never quite satisfied with the biblical representation of the kingdom of God alive on earth. There are folks that will go after this and go after that and go after this thing and do that and they'll shift over there and they'll go that direction and they'll think about that for a while. Amen? Thankfully, we all have the internet now so we don't have that many problems figuring out what's right. I'll just be quiet. You know, to to stop and think about this just for a minute. I mean, God allows amazing support and help for us in our journey. Amen? Amen. And if that's a therapist, if it's a doctor, God has allowed people in our lives that can help us heal and journey, and I encourage it. But sometimes we are looking in so many directions that we forget where we start. And our brains get busy and they talk to us constantly. And we spend enormous amounts. What does he say about the crowded soil? It's the worries and the fears. Because am I supposed to? Do I need to? Should I? Should I have called that? Should I have done that? Should I should do this instead of that? Should I go there? Should I do that? And it's a complex world, isn't it? I don't know, do you ever think about this? I think about what it would have been like to live 150 years ago, you know, and just be doing whatever you do, you know, I don't know, farming. (laughs) You know, we're going to grow some stuff, we're going to eat some stuff. Yeah, I'm going to die, and then you just die. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Instead of now, be like, well, you got to go to the doctor and check that. you got a thing growing right there. That thing's getting bigger and bigger. You better go look. I mean, there's, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Ignorance is bliss, right? Well, I mean, you just live and die. You don't even know what's going on. I don't know. It doesn't work anymore. I just quit. I don't know. 
I, I, when I was little, I didn't realize how messed up human beings could be. But now that I'm older, there is so much wrong with me. Amen? I mean, we've become enlightened, haven't we? I mean, the expectation of normalcy. What is normal? We'll look it up on the internet. You'll find out. There's some kind of test that'll help you gauge your abnormalities. And it turns out they can be psychological, they can be emotional, they can be spiritual, they can be mental, they can be relational. You can have the wrong vocation, you can have the wrong temperament. Surely that's not what Jesus had in mind when he talked about the crowded soil, that the worries of life choke out the simplicity of the gospel. Unless you change and become like little children, you can never receive the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and and then figure out, in fact, would it hurt to be quiet? God, direct my next step. I probably need to do something. I probably can't just sit, but I'd like to start here. I'd like for this to be the base. This could be command control right here. Where should I go from here? Come to me. All you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest into your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll help you. I'll direct you. I'll guide you. I'll enlighten you. And finally, the fertile soil. Luke 8, 1 through 3 reads this way. After this, Jesus traveled about from town, one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and Mary, and, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So in Luke's gospel, we find this unlikely cast of characters who are receiving the gospel and have turned out to be fertile soil. The centurion shows up, a Roman soldier who asked Jesus for a healing and then says, oh, you don't need to come, Jesus. I I know what it means to command people. Just command the healing to take place and it'll be done. Jesus is like, I've not seen this kind of faith. (laughs) We wouldn't have guessed the centurion to be fertile soil. We wouldn't have guessed the woman in Simon's home Weeping and wiping Jesus' feet with her tears, but here she is, a part of the surprising nature of the kingdom of God where the seed has taken root and it's bearing fruit, big fruit, right in front of their friends and families, right out front, bearing fruit. And then Luke gives us this weird story about these three women. Now, we're going to meet these women again. Most of the gospel writers save these women until the end of the story. They're at the resurrection. They're the the group that meet Jesus. And what a group they are. Mary Magdalene, out of whom are cast seven demons. And then this is a weird one. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. That must have been a weird dining room experience. Amen? What'd you do today? Well, you know, Herod's crazy. What would you do to say, I was with Jesus again. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. You know, that Herod's a mess. I mean, do you ever... And these women were following the disciples around. And by the way, the disciples. 
That's an unlikely group to bear fruit. One commentator said, Luke does not hold back in telling us about the struggles of the disciples. He's not as mean as Mark. (laughs) Isn't that a great statement? He's not as mean as Mark. Mark's kind of tough on the disciples. Luke just points out their shortcomings, but here they are. The kingdom of God bearing fruit. Not who you would have expected. Not the religious types. In fact, people who are broken and understand their brokenness. People who are wounded and understand their woundedness. Are we childlike? Have we figured it all out? The question that I would ask you this morning is, which of these identify with you most deeply? Are you more like the folks that are, have those preconceived ideas about how the kingdom is supposed to work, and when Jesus doesn't quite do what we want, we find a lot of hostility in our hearts? And there's sort of a hardened, trampled kind of soul condition. Maybe more like the rocky soil where we've got a layer of prejudice, that's solid rock. And our idea and understanding of the gospel is such that the gospel would have a hard time getting past our layer of understanding. Can I speak to that for one minute? Yeah. You can answer. It won't change what I'm going to say, but you can. (laughs) I see this a lot. We cannot compromise the word of God. I agree with that. I do have a broad spectrum of friends who each think they have discovered exactly what the word of God is saying. And in that spectrum of friends, they do not all agree. Amen? Thus is the problem with dogma. When we build a layer of our interpretation of Scripture and we decide it is the one and the only one to understand, we have missed a very important point of this book. This book has authority and we respect it as such and we treat it as such. We don't compromise on that in any way. However, we do not worship the Word of God. We worship the God of the Word. Everybody know what I'm talking about? This book is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that leads us into relationship with the living God. Introduces us to a relationship with the Holy Spirit that then guides our steps in understanding what the Word is teaching us. Amen? Everybody with me so far? So we do not idolize the book. We humble ourselves before it. We seek to understand it in its completeness. But we don't ever decide we figured it out. Amen? Amen. So if you don't get anything else, here's what it is. We come childlike to the Word of God. We come childlike today, and we come childlike tomorrow, and we come childlike... And listen, you can fall off of this on the liberal side, and you can say, I have figured out what the Word of God means, and blah, 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 blah. And you can fall off on the conservative side, I have figured it out, and this is what it means. Dogma is not the friend of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees... We're steeped in the fundamentalism of the gospel, of the scriptures, but they missed the Son of God because they forgot that the scriptures were pointing to the person of God. And you and I can be content with nothing less than a personal relationship with a loving God who opens our hearts and minds to the truth of his word. Amen? Amen. And we come humbly before that word. We become Childlike in its presence. 
over and over again? Are we more like the soil that has that layer of rock and the gospel can't get into our hearts and minds and spirits? Are we more like the crowded soil because we got our brains going a thousand directions all the time trying to figure out some way to be happy and content? And Jesus invites us to start with him and let him guide our steps. Or are we the fertile soil, childlike folks in whom the gospel is being born in the most unlikely of ways, like a grain of mustard seed, the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers are healed, the poor receive the gospel. I want to be a part of that kingdom. Amen. I want to let it grow in those little ways. I want to be content for God to do whatever he's going to do. He doesn't have to fix everything. He doesn't have to have a cataclysmic life. still going to follow in love and trust him. Amen. Amen. God, would you help us? Would you search our hearts? We believe your gospel is put together in such a way that it is to challenge us. It's, it's to humble us. It's to invite us into this inverted value system of the kingdom of God. And that you open these parables because you know that if you confront us right in the front of our brain, we'll fight back. So would you allow our hearts to just be open to you? We'll just be quiet. We'll just let you lead. We'll humble ourselves. We will allow ourselves to be used by you in whatever way you see fit, and we'll trust you. That in all things you're working for our good, that you intend abundant life for us. And so we pray as we close this service that you would shape us as a congregation. You'd shape us as a force for the kingdom of God in this community and in this world. Speak in these moments. Let us do genuine business with you and leave from this place changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.